RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Mission Log is sponsored by the official Star Trek Discovery Starships Collection. All new starships in a larger size format and officially authorized by CBS Studios. Subscribe today and receive the USS Shenzhou for only $9.95 with free shipping. For details, visit eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 298, The Alternate. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. You know, it would take a show as good as Mission Log to really describe Mission Log. But I'll try. Each week we watch an episode of Star Trek, taking it apart for messages, morals, and meanings, and seeing whether the whole thing holds up today. This week, the alternate. The one where Odo's dad comes to DS9. Okay, not really. But kind of. I've got trivia coming up in a moment, but first... But first, I'm going to let you know how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including Discover Documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. You know, we haven't done a, a listener comment show in a while. I think we should. I th- I, I've, got, I've got some stuff that we've recorded. Yeah. I've got some, uh, uh, some emails. Okay. Uh, and then every now and then they get the, uh, the, the odd tweet or uh, comment on Facebook, just maybe once or twice every few minutes. Yeah. Uh, we're not doing that today, though. What we're doing today, though, of course, is an episode of Mission Log. And those begin, as they tend to do, uh, with trivia, not unlike this one. I'm off my game. I'm going to go practice my game while you do trivia. I'll be back. Trivia for this week's episode of The Alternate Story is by Jim Trombetta and Bill Dial. Now, Jim, we just recently talked about, he got the story credits for The Forsaken and Rivals. And it was his original idea that a shapeshifter who was having a psychic break would indeed appear as different physical forms. The teleplay credit goes to Bill Dial. That is a new name for us here. But Bill had been kicking around in TV as a writer and producer, even as an actor, for many years. Most notably, he was a writer and producer for several episodes of WKRP in Cincinnati and its revival. And that was a show that he appeared on camera from time to time. Genre credits like Sliders and Earth Force round out his resume, too, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention The Misadventures of Sheriff Lobo. This episode was directed by David Carson. We're actually saying goodbye to David Carson. This is the last episodic Star Trek he directs. Now, he did move on to do Star Trek Generations, and of course, he had a lot of TV under his belt before Star Trek. In the years after, he notably directed an episode of From the Earth to the Moon, Birds of Prey, and a few of Smallville. Let's talk about the monster a little bit. Now, Ken, you just mentioned in the contact info about how on our website, missionlogpodcast.com, we have discovered documents. Well, there are some there, but Roddenberry has been releasing a lot of documents in a lot of places. We have Roddenberry 365. We have the Trek files right here on the network. So every now and then we find something very specific to an episode that we'll post on Mission Log. Go check it out. I have some drawings by Jim Martin, uh, who's a conceptual and production artist. He came up with some interesting concepts for the Odo monster, this shape-shifting creature. So you can see him there kind of melting and oozing and maybe losing a limb or two. Uh, Jim came by the office not long ago. We shot a little footage with him and uh, did a little recording with him. So there'll be more of him to come too. Let's talk about guest stars. So Dr. Weld Rom is played by Matt McKenzie. This is one of just two Trek appearances for Matt. 
He'll be back on Voyager, but he has carved out a very active career in front of the camera and is a frequent voice actor in anime and other animated projects. He's done Vampire Hunter D, Reign the Conqueror, Ninja Scroll, and Spawn, to name a few. He had a recurring role on 24 and many, many guest roles, just a few, Medium, Sliders, L.A. Law. And we welcome back James Sloyan, this time as Bajoran Dr. Maura Pohl. Now, of course, we talked about him in his TNG debut as Jarek in The Defector, and again as Kemtar in Firstborn. He'll be back one more time as Mora, and we will see him in a different role on Voyager. Interestingly, we might not have had him at all here. So one idea that was really popular in the production, it was floated that René Aubergenois would play the role of Dr. Mora Pohl. Makes sense. But it was decided ultimately that it would have a huge impact on the production schedule, nearly doubling the production time, and that would have been too much to bear. And, oh, uh, slightly less recognizable from its appearance as Ensign Aquino, the alien life form is played by a viscous puddle of goo. He's versatile. He's so good. You can't keep that guy down. Beneath the constellations, Cat's Cradle and Silver Spoon, Odo's dad arrives on DS9. Prologue. In his bar, Quarka is selling off pieces of the late great Ferengi businessman Plague. Surprisingly, Odo would like a piece, but he asks for a letter of authenticity since, you see, Plague is actually alive. Quark says he was duped by the person who sold the remains to him, but before Odo can promise to investigate, in walks a Bajoran who calls Odo by name. It's Dr. Mara Pohl, the scientist who studied Odo after he was found. It's a prickly reunion. Mora is parental, and Odo seems embarrassed, uneasy, and like he'd rather not be there. As they catch up, Mora drops a bombshell, though. He might just have some new info on Odo's origin. Act 1. Jake is trying to get out of his homework listening to Klingon opera when there is a visitor at the Cisco household. It's Odo, and he's requesting a ship. Commander Sisko is fine with it, but he asks why. Apparently, a Bajoran probe found something on the other side of the wormhole. DNA patterns that come awfully close to Odo's own. It would have taken a long time for an official request, so Mora asked Odo to ask Sisko. And Odo is anxious to check it out, too. It might be where Odo and others like him came from. Cut to the other side of the eye. Uh, the tunnel. Wait, the wormhole. Mora, along with Dax, Odo, and someone else, is telling baby stories while they travel on the runabout. When Odo was discovered, he was just that little puddle of organic goo. They kept in a beaker, not knowing if he, it, was intelligent until one day, that day Odo had left the beaker and formed himself into a perfect replica of the same container. Aww. Arriving at LS6... The small crew go about exploring, collecting samples, just taking stuff because there's nobody home. Odo doesn't recognize anything, but they decide to take a large, seemingly important stone obelisk artifact back with them. Oh, and that other crewman who we were sure doesn't actually have a name actually does. It's Dr. Weld, and shockingly, he has lines. He's found something, a living silicate. Could be a clue toward Odo's origin. As soon as they beam the obelisk back to the runabout, an earthquake erupts and noxious gases erupt from the surface. Everyone else is made helpless, but Odo is able to get them beamed back to safety. Act 2. Dr. Bashir is treating Mora and Weld, who got the worst of it from the gas, but Jadzia fared a little better. Odo seems to be fine, physically anyway. Sisko catches up with him outside and says he gets how he's feeling. He had a father, too, who he just watched helplessly toward the end of his life. Odo says it's not like that because, uh, it's just not. O'Brien has been studying that living silicate they brought back. It's getting bigger. 
What looked like a little dust in a petri dish is now a whole mess of it, reproducing in a larger container that will need to be secured with a containment field. They just can't make sense of what it is. And likewise, Odo has no idea what the obelisk's significance is. He just hopes it's a key to his past. Late that night, though, the containment field did not contain. It's a wreck in the lab, and whatever it was they brought back from the planet is now gone. Act 3. No clue as to what happened. Did someone break in, or did the silicate break out? Everyone will do their part. Footage from the security cameras, they totally have those, will be reviewed. Sensors will be fine-tuned. Oh, and O'Brien points to the ductwork where it probably escaped. That, too. Mora is conscious again, and he asks Odo what's going on. Odo explains that the thing they brought back has escaped, and Mora suggests it could be an expression of its intelligence. In any case, he feels responsible for that and Weld, who is still unconscious, and he wants to help. Odo, resting his hand on Mora, says Bashir is doing everything he can for Weld. How about some scenes of Chief O'Brien crawling through access ducts right about now? You got it. Chief O'Brien is crawling through access ducts, but in communicator contact with Cisco and Odo in the security office. Odo says the security cameras were a dead end since they stopped recording for some reason right where the incident occurred, but they did notice a little temperature increase about the same time. Sensors don't show anything, but O'Brien hears something. Something weird. He investigates and finds a structural breach, but when he reaches for it, a bunch of goo just drips from above. There's the missing thing, only it seems to be dead. So that seems to be done. No other trace of the living thing that came back. What a terrible thing to lose. Bashir tells Dax that he can tell from his study that it would have needed more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere to really survive. She's done for the night, though suggests a rectogeno break, which Bashir declines. When she's gone, a distant noise gets the doctor's attention. All is quiet in the infirmary with his patient still sleeping. But then, from a duct above, a huge tentacle reaches out, knocking Bashir to the ground. He grabs a laser scalpel, wounding the attacker, which slips back into the ceiling vent from which it came. Act 4. Big and scary. That's about what Bashir can make of it. All else is a blur. Though it was a little warmer, he notes, not unlike the increase in temperature in the lab when the thing first escaped. Odo suggests checking interruptions to RF energy, while Dax says she's found something that eluded them the first time around. An organic residue. They'll go to red alert, close the promenade, and start looking for stuff. Dax is hard at work, of course. Some of it is a waiting game while the computer does its thing with the residue samples they have. The pillar isn't offering up any clues either. While the computer is whizzing away, Mora turns the talk with Dax to something more personal. Odo. Mora says he misses Odo, and he's regretful about the friction in their working relationship. Clearly he's proud, though he thought one day Odo would come back, unable to make it on his own. A few beeps, and the computer is done. The sample they brought back from the planet and the residue from whatever attacked Bashir are not the same thing. They could be distantly related, but Dax has a DNA analysis that she can now compare to everything in their database to try to find a match. It'll take a few hours. With some time on his hands, Mora finds Odo in the security office. There's a little talk of how impressed Mora is with Odo, and then he drops the bomb. He doesn't need to wait for the computer to finish its analysis. He knows the organic sample pulled from the lab has DNA that matches Odo. Act 5. The breakout in the lab and the attack on Dr. Bashir occurred about 16 hours apart, the same as the time limit Odo has until he turns back into goo and needs to get back into his pail. Odo was sure that's where he was. He doesn't remember anything different. Morris says it's a possibility, even as Odo insists it couldn't be him. The only possibility they can think of is that the gas on LS-6 had some adverse reaction they are only just now discovering. But what will Odo do? Mora says he can't go to the others on the station. They'll betray him. They'll put him in a zoo. Mora says he's the only one Odo can trust, which Odo doesn't. Tempers flare. 
And as the emotions run high, with Mora insisting Odo come back with him to be studied, Odo begins to transform. He's sort of melting into something else, becoming the creature. Mora reports this to Ops, and the fact that the creature is distinct from the Odo they know. It recognizes Mora, though, and he volunteers himself to lure it into the promenade, where Sisko and the rest can set a trap. O'Brien manipulates power output on the station to leave crumbs for the creature, and a whole lot of security get themselves ready. As they all wait for the creature to emerge from one of the conduits, Mora stands in the middle of the promenade and speaks calmly to get its attention. Soon enough, it shows itself, a heaping, oozing mass, and a powerful force field snaps into place. It's hurting the creature. Mora regretfully says to himself that he's done it again, made Odo a prisoner. When Sisko calls for the field to be dropped, a shaken Odo emerges, and Mora rushes to his aid, saying they have a lot to talk about. Now knowing that the gas had an effect, Bashir and Mora can work together to get it out of Odo's system. He'll be fine, but he'll need rest. When Bashir leaves, Mora and Odo apologize to each other, and Mora says he'd like to visit from time to time if, even in a small way, he can be a part of Odo's life. The end. Hey, John. Hey, Ken. Hey, John. Hey. Uh, remember all those times Data took over the Enterprise? Oh, there, there were definitely more than one. Yeah. 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 And we'd say, wow, I'm going to miss Data because no way he gets to stay on the Enterprise after this. Right? Yeah, totally, totally. And then the next week, there he'd be not getting jokes and not able to say words like can't and won't. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we'd be like, well, I guess I guess he gets to stay. Mm -hmm. So Odo breathes something and turns into a gigantic, mindless monster who can't really remember anything that happened. Heck, he doesn't even know if it's happening. Uh, so I, 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 I guess we're done with Odo. Yeah, I mean, it's really too bad because I, I really like Rene as an actor. I like he the character. Was, There's a lot he of He was depth. one of my favorite characters. Yeah. I was looking forward mm -hmm. to seeing what was going to happen with him and uh, with him and uh, Quark because obviously they got a thing going on. Not like a thing, but like a no, thing. No, no. Well, know. Uh, some kind of thing, just not that thing. Yeah. Hey, I'm not judging. It's fine. Whatever they got going on. But I was looking forward to seeing how that was going to go. Obviously, you can't have something like this as head of security. Except I'm guessing we are going to have him as head of security. Not even as security, Ken. I mean, look, let, let's be real here. You and I have worked together for uh, six years, more than six years. If you oozed through the ceiling above me and uh, sprouted a giant tentacle and tried to kill me, yeah, I, I think it would seriously impair our working relationship. See, you think that, but, mm -hmm. you know, Star Trek was a Roddenberry production and Mission Log <laughs> is a Roddenberry yeah. production. Uh -huh. I think there's a possibility that either one of us could try to kill the other and be back next week. We'd be back. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's possible. <laughs> I, I don't think we should try it necessarily. Maybe we could try it on an unsuspecting third party. An ensign, okay. maybe. Can we get okay. Can we get an intern for this Oh, that show? would be great. Yeah, that would be yeah, perfect. Just to, just to run the test. Good. Hey, uh, good for a plague. I feel bad that we didn't get to meet Plague, but good for Plague, who managed to make a profit from Hollow Suites in places where the inhabitants could barely afford to feed themselves. Yeah. That's really, if that's not a Ferengi success story, I, I don't know what is. Yeah, you say that like it's not happening on Earth right now. Like it's not happening in the city where you live right now. <laughs> oh, it whatever, is. It yeah, is. I know. I'll yeah. tell you honestly, I want to meet Plague. I do. Yeah. I haven't mm -hmm. looked into it. I sort of doubt that we're going to meet Plague, but he sounds like, well, he sounds like he'd have the great makings for a, uh, for a Nagus. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. He's actually making it happen. Yeah. Yes. He sounds like a character that I would really like to, uh, I'd like for us to bump into because he's still alive. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. I still think that the Ferengi talk it up a lot. I, I still think that like the, their, their legends have to precede them a bit. Like this is part of the making of a Ferengi. It's not just making a profit. It, it's also the entrance you get to make. It's also the legend that gets told around you. Sure. But this guy, just from the discussion, yes, it does sound like he has the makings of a grand Nagus. He's, he's a great orator. He, mm -hmm. He's obviously a businessman. He's able to squeeze oh, yeah. blood from a turnip. You know, and that he can get money for something when people don't have enough money to feed themselves, mm -hmm. which, again, I think is actually a fairly common thing to do and a horrible thing to do. But, yeah, he's just he's just somebody I'd like to he's somebody I'd like to to. Yeah. 
it'd be great to see him turn up on Deep Space Nine. Further Adventures of Plague. Maybe even a novel or two or or six. I don't know. Um, speaking of Plague, even if Odo was only pulling Quark's leg, mm-hmm. I really like the idea of Odo being into humanoid death rituals. Like, the weirder that Odo gets, the more I like him. He's like, yeah, Odo, he just uh, he goes back into his bucket. But if you see his uh, his humanoid bedroom, he's like, like he's got black light posters and skulls. And he's just into all kinds of crazy stuff. That's like when we walked into Lorca's office in uh, Discovery. Precisely. Yeah. yeah. Which I know hasn't yeah. happened yet, but whatever. Also reminded me a little bit of... um. Um, Richard Toplev, I think was his name. He was the basically the, the, the guy who tortured information out of people for Elizabeth I. Mm, okay. I, thought, I really thought he was doing the Lord's work. thought he was doing good work <laughs> there. And, uh, you know, I guess for, for the Queen of England, he was. But, yeah, mm. kind, of a, kind of a terrible guy. But I sort of thought, yeah, Odo, Odo could be that guy. <laughs> he could. He could. In a horrible, horrible way. Here's a question. What am I ever going to use Klingon opera for? And I, and I just like to say that the 24th century sounds like uh, an awful lot like the 20th, yeah. at least when it came to me asking about any number of subjects <laughs> in school. Right, so, which, which you can't yeah. remember because you don't use them. No, I don't. Right, I don't. yeah. Mm-hmm. This week, by the way, uh, Keiko O'Brien is teaching Klingon opera, apparently. She can do anything. I just don't even. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hey, uh, a space probe picked up DNA patterns from six light years away. Mm. Wow. Wow. For for the weeks that every now and then, it's like, uh, well, we didn't bother to do a DNA test here that would have proven this thing. Apparently, you just got a probe that can go out there and forget just looking for a habitable planet or something. Boom. DNA. They're on it. That is good. That is really good. And... um Interesting that uh, Odo has trouble shaping himself like a Bajoran, uh, but man, he's got it down when you turn into, oh, like a, a mouse yeah. or uh, a beaker. A petri dish, yeah. A petri I was, dish. Actually, I was really surprised it. to hear that he has trouble with the ears. I thought we had established somewhere along the way that he was doing not doing that on purpose or whatever. Mm. But, oh, oh that, that he was specifically uh, uh, holding himself back? From looking exactly like a Bajoran? Yeah, I guess. Or maybe we hear that later or something, because I thought somebody explained that to me one time. Like, oh, no, he doesn't want to fool anybody or something. Mm, um, I really wanted Dr. Moore just to keep going with his questions, though. Like, is the suit yeah. a part of you, or is it a suit? Uh, you know, what about the boots? And uh, the communicator, by the way. I'm kind of curious about that. <laughs> oh, and the strips of latinum you just offered Quark a second ago. Were they actually strips <laughs> right. of latinum, or would they just turn, like, back into your hand when, you know, it was obvious you weren't going to pay him? Yeah. These are things that I wondered about. Also, I I did appreciate, and I know it was a horrible thing to do to to, to Odo, and we'll get to the horrible things Dr. Mora did to Odo later. Sure. But I really appreciated the fact that Odo's like, I had never seen anything like him. And he's like, "Eh, this scene isn't an appropriate description. He had no eyes, per se. Still doesn't, by the way. Funny story. Those look (laughs) like eyes. They're not really. Anyway, he had never perceived anything like us before. And I thought, pedantic? Sure. But, you know... Pedantic is actually Mission Log's middle name. The the pedantic is silent, but but it's there. If you listen really close, you can hear that. Truthful, though, and that is an important scientific distinction. I I thought that was was fascinating. Hey, uh, uh, speaking of the way that they do science here, uh, (laughs) they they go to this planet and they just straight up take an ancient obelisk and some mysterious silica. Right. I, uh, two words, Ken, two words, Hawaii bound. And if that doesn't ring any bells, season four, episode one of the Brady Bunch. Look, when you steal the tiki idol from the island, it makes the island very upset. It just is going to bring you bad luck. Okay? Yeah. So so here's the thing that's weird to me. Mm-hmm. It's, it's 25 years later. This show is being produced 25, you know, maybe a few more years than that uh, mm-hmm. from the original series. Right. Yeah. But it's like 80 years in, in Federation time and Starfleet time and Star Trek timeline time, right? right. Since, uh, yeah, uh, uh, more than that. Okay, know. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I don't know if you remember, but this is how the man trap started. The first way that we knew that something was wrong with the, with the, with the people on that planet, with Nancy and Mr. Nancy, whose name I can't remember, 
Um, the way we knew something was going on there was they hadn't been sending the artifacts that they were supposed to be sending, right? Right. And we right. were both like, really? You're just going to send artifacts? And then a few years later, Dr. Moore is like, you know, do you know what these letters mean? And Odo's like, no. And Dax is like, why don't we take it with us? Maybe the computer can analyze it. And, you know, I kind of wanted more to be like, or we could take a lot of pictures of it and maybe, you know, see. put together yeah. like a 3D rendering or something. Because I know all uh-huh. the way back to the 21st century, people were doing things like that. Yeah. And Dax is like, yeah, but we could take it. <laughs> I mean, it's just, I, I don't understand yeah. that. Well, I mean, I do understand that. We'll get to why they actually did that later. But it, it was just like, yeah. why don't we take that with us? Well, because not. I mean, clearly this is the most important thing here. Right. So. Right. Before anybody else can get to it, right. boy, we, yeah, we better put it in be able our to get lab. something off eBay on this, or, you know, mm-hmm. I'll trade this mm-hmm. for, like, 5,000 discs of some guy that Quark's got sitting there. Yeah, right. Hey, uh, let's talk about O'Brien a little bit. Uh, not a whole lot of him in this episode. I just want to know, how would he know that the goo he found while crawling through the ductwork was actually dead? Because to me, it, it it strongly resembles the alive version of that goo. Um, well, I, you know? yeah, I don't know. I got no answer okay. for that. I mean, the, okay. the, of course, the goo that plays the goo, I mean, mm-hmm. only plays dead goo. I don't know if you've noticed that, but the times you've mentioned, yeah, it's like, you know, stuff that used to be a guy or stuff that used to be a thing. Um, I feel like O'Brien's monologue, by the way, about lying to Keiko Mm-hmm. That may be the truest like thing that we've seen about their relationship. Yep. I know you were in like the whole thing where she was like dressing him up to get ready to go play Bashir and a good um, moment. In, yeah. In racquetball. Yeah. Yeah. But this this is like the real this is this is really <laughs> their marriage right there. Uh, yeah. yeah. So you talked about the dead goo, by the way. You know who is dead? Uh-huh. Who's that? Cisco's father. Or is oh. he? Spoiler oh. alert. No. Okay. No, he's not. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, I, I'm glad you, you included go. that. I, I'm glad that you put this in there because here's the thing: when I when I wrote the 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 recap, yeah, I, I wanted to write that moment to be true to the scene as it was delivered in this episode. Right, um, that's kind of the important thing for me and you and for Mission Log and the whole pretense that we have doing Mission Log. And in that scene, if really you just you know you watch it once, even if you watch it a couple of times, the way it sounds is that Cisco is talking about his dead father. Right. Um, Except you do notice, and and I think this is probably mm-hmm. how they got around, how they go ahead and include him later. He never mm-hmm. actually said the words, then my father died. Right. No, he doesn't. He just know. said, I realized towards the end there was nothing he could do. And it's like, oh, oh so he died? No, 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 towards the end of my vacation. Because I, yeah. I had to get <laughs> right. out of there. Right. Yeah. And then, of course, of course, Odo comes back with the, well, I appreciate your thoughts, Commander, but Dr. Mora is not my father. And, you know, Cisco has to be standing there going, wow, and I made up that whole thing about my father dying <laughs> just to yeah. get closer. I, man, well, probably it'll never come up again. Nobody will care. It'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, precisely. Hey, um, the word constable comes up again here. And see, again, here he barely tolerates, uh, quote, <laughs> uh, uh, being called that. Though Dr. Mora thinks it's a term of affection, uh, but we were led to believe that Cisco created it, but Kira used it in a flashback way before Cisco got there when they were both on Tarek Nor. So uh, just a whole lot. Sometimes Constable is great and it's fine and it's acceptable. Sometimes it's just not. They, they don't, you know, they don't really care. And um, by the way, I, I, just as a, a very positive note here, uh, and I wanted to get this out of the way before we even get to our, re- uh, our wrap up at the end, Odo's breakdown, the, the literal and figurative breakdown in, uh, in the security office is really something to behold. It's powerful stuff and that makeup, uh, terrifying and very effective. Odo's dad has played a Romulan a Klingon, and now a Bajoran. Are we certain he is not a shapeshifter as well? The alternate? The alternate? Well, we'll get into one or the other in a moment, but first... But first, a word from Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Discovery Starships collection. They're flying in to take over your mantle and your bookshelves and your desktops and your kitchen counters and just just anywhere that you got a flat surface that is begging for starships. You know what, Ken? I think this desk and my kitchen counters 
are begging for teeny tiny starships. Well, these aren't the teeny tiny ones, though, John. It's not just every flat surface. You're going to need a tiny bit of room here because we're talking about the, uh, you know, the official Star Trek Discovery starships, which are in that sort of XL size, right? They're just fantastic ships. They're officially authorized by CBS Studios. Uh, really weighty. I mean, if you if you see them, you might think, oh, that's you know, that looks pretty nice, but it's it looks kind of delicate or something. And then you pick one of these things up, diecast metal. Um, just, I mean, they 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 have a certain heft to them when you go to sort of the larger size. That's kind of my my favorite thing at Vegas is when we have them on our table and somebody goes, oh, look at that nice ship, and you go here, hold it, right? And they go, oh, oh, wow. Yeah, and of course every they're, time they're uh, they're of course based on the CG models that they were used and actually producing uh, Star Trek Discovery because you want them to look as much like those as you can, and so it's not a bad idea to actually look at the ones they used to make the ones that look like the ones they used. Yes, and we are talking about big ships. USS Shenzhou NCC one two two seven is about eight inches from front to back. Of course, it includes that beautiful display base and the collector's magazine, which has behind-the-scenes info, original design sketches, and a breakdown of the technology on board. The Shenzhou is, of course, the one that you get first. That's the first ship in the collection, available to subscribers for only $9.95 with free shipping. And you can start that rolling at eaglemoss.com slash discoverystarships. Oh, but it doesn't stop there because you'll get additional models every month, including the Discovery itself, the Europa, the Vulcan Cruiser, the Solkar class cruiser, and many more, including that reimagined Klingon Bird of Prey. New ships will arrive every month at an exclusive 20% discount off the standard retail price. And of course, they all have free shipping. It's not just the ships you get, though. Subscribers are also entitled to free gifts worth over $100, and you can cancel your subscription at any time. Full details can be found at eaglemoss.com slash discoverystarships. Now, if subscribing isn't your thing, if you just want you know, to pick the one ship you want or maybe the two ships you want and be done with it, uh, there are ways to do that, too. You can either go to your local comic book shop or you can go to shop.eaglemoss.com. Uh, you will be paying the regular price there, and that's uh, $54.95 each. But again, to subscribe, go to eaglemoss.com slash Starships, And a huge thanks to Eagle Moss for sponsoring this week's show. Hey, Ken, as we get into the discussion on this week's episode, uh, The Alternate, um, I just, you know, honestly, I, I don't know that, uh, that I can make anything or that we should make anything out of the Dax and Bashir moment. Uh, Dax is asking Bashir if he wants a cup of Rectagino and he's yeah. thinking it's a come on and then declining when it's not. And, you know, then saying to himself that he thinks she enjoys toying with him. So he'll get her back by not chasing her. You know, that just, uh, that, that, that's about it. So uh, we just move on from there. Right. You don't want to talk about it. Let's talk about it. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, we don't actually yeah. we don't have to talk about it. It's fine. I mean, he he's creepy, and I feel like it would be yeah. I feel like it would be wrong not to point it out just because it's so obvious. And it's not just that one thing you're talking about. Uh, yeah. Although uh, even that one we go around with a little bit, but um, I, the, the first one was actually Doctor Bashir wouldn't listen to me and hid my clothes so I wouldn't leave. Okay. Mm. Well, he is a doctor. And as we've learned from Enterprise, I'm sorry, from uh, from uh, from being on the Enterprise and and uh, and TNG and in TOS, the doctor can can order you to stay in bed. The doctor can yeah. order you not to continue your duties. Right? Uh, mm-hmm. Bones could relieve uh, Kirk of do of, of of duty, and and mm-hmm. Crusher could relieve whoever was in charge of the Enterprise at that moment of duty as well. Uh, but Bashir hides her clothes. See, it's funny yeah. because she could be naked, um, which kind of is annoying. And then, and then the whole thing, she enjoys it. She actually gets some kind of perverse pleasure out of it. One of these days, I'm going to stop chasing her, and then we'll see. Or you could take no for an answer. Yeah, see, and, and that, moment is, uh, that moment is made worse because it's one of those it, – it's a very TV thing mm-hmm. where the one character leaves the room and the other character just keeps going with the inner monologue but now spelled out for the audience. And he, uh, it, it just – it was an uncomfortable, bad scene, primarily uncomfortable uh, because, yes, again, just take no for an answer. Just, oh, oh, right. I'm sorry. Now, here, here is the problem, though. We mm-hmm. do know that she does enjoy it. 
because we've heard that discussion between her and Kira mm-hmm. back at the beginning of the first season. So, I mean, this is in a very different way. This is that sort of like, you know, problem with Star Trek thing that I talked about a week or two ago. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, well, yeah, what he's thinking is bad. What he's saying is bad. He should be listening to the words she's saying. The only thing is we've actually heard the words she's saying. And she's like, honestly, kind of into it. Except she hasn't said that about Bashir specifically. Either way, right. Right. he should he should not. And and now we can move on if you want to, because you know, we've had that discussion about him nine times. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe more. I don't know. And yeah. uh, and and I got a feeling we may have it again just because well, I don't know if you heard him say to himself out loud to the camera, Yeah, I'm just gonna keep doing this until I don't. Oh, he's got a strategy, man. He does. He's got a strategy. Yes, which, yeah. Uh, yay. Yeah. So, a lot of fun stuff here about Odo. Now, you mentioned the uh, the really interesting, uh, the, the physical things, like are the clothes real or are they a part of him and the boots? And then that brings up like the communicator because that tends to go away whenever he morphs into something else. Um, and and uh, you mentioned the part that when he was goo, uh, he had no eyes, so he didn't see Dr. Mora. He experienced him. He doesn't he have eyes now. Let's go back to that really quickly. He doesn't right, have right, eyes right. now. I mean, I assume yeah. if you dissect Odo, which you shouldn't do, by the way. No, no. But I have a feeling if you dissect Odo, like if you took out his eye, then you're just holding it like a, like a, like a bit of goo, right? You're mm-hmm. not holding an yeah. eye. It's just like, here's a little bit of Odo. Right. It came from a whole lot of Odo. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Anybody yeah. have a baggie? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and he has no respiratory system. Right. Uh, interesting as well. Yet that gas affected him somehow, uh, you know, and we, we got it out of him somehow. Great. Um, very interesting choice in makeup, by the way. Uh, so now we really see Odo uh, as a being who is emulating his captor. Mm-hmm. which was interesting for the, the hairstyle and kind of the shape. It was really nicely lined up when we first introduced Dr. Mora and we see them in front of each other, see their profiles together. They're, they're not exact, but you can see where Odo is trying to approximate that look, but not all the way. And I wondered, is this, a, is it Stockholm syndrome? Because he really could just be anybody that he wanted to be, or is it just the, the habit of whenever it was that he formed into this quasi-Bajoran-looking humanoid, that he stuck with it because that's what he's been doing now for the last several years. I, I thought, look, if he could form into anybody, how about how about Gregory Peck? Mm-hmm. I'd you know that that would be my choice, maybe. But uh, yeah, uh, but the more important, the serious stuff. I'm sorry, Gregory Peck today or Gregory Peck back in the day. Oh no! Like uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Gregory oh, okay. Peck. All right. That's yeah, probably, yeah. Today, today, that might choice. be a little gruesome. That'd be yeah. really gruesome. I wouldn't want to frighten anybody. Hang on a second, though. I mean, I, we haven't we haven't talked about this, but I mean, we do accept the the premise, right? That I mean, Mora is a stand-in father figure for Odo, whether whether 100%. Odo wants him to be yeah. or not. Right. So I mean, so I mean, he has to look like Mora, doesn't he? Well, for that bit of drama, yes, but realistically, no. I mean, Odo existed for however long Odo existed as enough goo to fit into a pail. Right. And Odo is captured. He's discovered by these Bajoran scientists. And apparently from pretty much the get-go, there's this abrasive relationship between the captor and the and the captive it's interesting that you keep saying captor and captive though what i'm hearing is father and son or 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 stepfather and stepson if you want to well i think that's the extraordinarily challenging thing about their relationship because up until now mostly when you hear odo describe his time on bajor and how Mm -hmm. he doesn't want to be there it, it really sounds like he was a freak and he was this experiment put on display. It's interesting that they bring in, you know, particularly you bring in an actor like James Sloyan who can play all the levels in between. Yeah. Um, and, and he can be at the same time charming and sympathetic, but can also have that, uh, 
there's the believability that there is some tension between him and 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 Odo. Mm-hmm. Um, I all of that is believable when you have an actor like that in that place. But but you know, look, we're we're thirty some odd episodes into DS Nine. And up until now, all we've ever heard about Odo's experience on Bajor is not really that positive. Except we did know, I mean, we talked about this. I can't remember what the name of the episode was, but the one with Gul Dukat and um, uh, it's, uh, the, uh, I'm sorry, Cardassians. The episode was Cardassians, mm-hmm. the one where mm-hmm. we, you know, have the flashbacks with the Odo. Yep. And I asked the question, why didn't he just leave DS9? Why didn't he just leave Bajor entirely? Yeah. Because it seemed to me he could just walk out because here he is on Deep Space Nine, not still in the lab. He yeah. And he did have that amount of agency. He was able to walk out. Um, Mora talks about it here. He always figured Odo would come back. And it's obviously mm-hmm. been, I need somebody to write me down a timeline of exactly how long all of this stuff has happened. It's obviously been a few years at this point since he walked out. But even a few years later, Mora has been under the impression that, oh, he'll be back someday. It'll be fine. And now he's finally found a way back into his life. And so he comes to him instead, but he's been under the impression that he was staying, which I mean, honestly, then the question of, okay, he looks like Mora and he, you know, stuck around deep space nine. I have to come back again to why did he stay? I'm like, I honestly suspect he could have gotten away from deep space nine just as he could look like anybody besides Mora if he wanted to, but there's something in him that won't let him get away from that. Or maybe, See, that's the problem. Again, impossibility of Star Trek. He's not related to Mora, but he is related to Mora. Whether he wants him to be or not, Mora is his father figure. And he'll put his gelatinous hand in his. Sorry. (laughs) Mora is his father figure. And so he doesn't really, in the same way that we can't get away from our, what raised us. Right. Yeah. I mean that that seems to me what it seems to be what they're trying to say here with uh, with Odo. It, it, it does, and I, I think the the difficulty with this again, this is where Star Trek can go so far to to uh, sort of investigate uh, a, a human quality and a human relationship, but then you introduce all these alien aspects to it. We don't really know. Well, at this point in DS9, we know so little about Odo. We we don't know uh, truly his origin story. We don't know uh, how old he is. Mm-hmm. We don't know what his experiences were before being discovered by Doctor Mora. So, you know, let's say that you just pick a number. Let's say that Odo is. 70 years old or 150 years old and has all these other experiences brought to the table. But then here's this guy one day, the scientist who goes, okay, now that's mine and I'm going to train it in the way that I see fit. I'm going to experiment upon it the way that I see fit. That changes then when Dr. Mora discovers at least a little bit changes when he discovers that Odo has intelligence, Odo has sentience. But from that point forward as well, there is a tremendous amount of influence on what Odo was now turning him into something else, literally because he is a shapeshifter, but psychologically because now he, he's he's in this sort of artificial condition of being a scientific experiment, not a being with the the free agency that, that he had before. Now, what's interesting in the story here is, is that, you know, there is a a very fleshed out relationship that is established. I, I thought of it very much like a like a teenager who needs to establish his own or her own identity away from a protective parent. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Morris says he wonders if he wasn't right to let Odo go. You know, like like that was his decision. Like like he has some ownership over that. And, um, and I also, you know, Odo is sort of back and forth in the, the denial about Mora's position as a father figure. Um, but I felt like this is sort of a, a universally parental thing that they were exploring here that, you know, to let your kid go, but then think that they'll come back. It's a complex problem. You want to prepare your child to be self-sufficient, but you kind of want them to come back and be taken care of. You want to know that that as the parent, you you know you did a good enough job that they're able to do things on your own. 
mm-hmm. but they're not truly and and completely on their own. They're still a part of you, you know. Now, now, sadly, we get into this thing with Mora though, where he he also uses this for manipulation, you know, when he he drops the news on Odo about the DNA evidence and and uh, it comes up with these ideas about his friends, his crew. What will the others do to you? You can't trust them, you know. The, this is where it really runs off the rails where Mora can't separate the scientific relationship he has with Odo with this parental relationship he has with Odo with this uh, almost uh, abusive power, the, the, this position that he has over, uh, over Odo. It's, a, it's an incredibly complex thing. See, what's weird to me is, like, I just want to take all the science part of it out. Because it seems to me that this is an examination of the sometimes troubled relationships between fathers and sons, or between, you know, members of families, let's say. And and I will say, it speaks to me on that level personally, because um, I don't have a great relationship with my dad. It's fine now, but like, he left when I was two, and I would see him a bit. But then from the time I was 12 on, I didn't really see him that much, like once a year or maybe twice a year. And, you know, don't misunderstand me. I mean, we still talk from time to time. But what's really weird to me is, like, I do things that he does, and I don't mean to. And some of them are things that I know I learned from him. And some of it's just stuff that I've always done. Like, like he will give me a look that I know that I give to other people. And I don't know when that got implanted, but it's here now, Right. And yeah. sometimes it makes me angry and, and sometimes I try not to be that thing, but I am that thing. And that seems to me to be a lot of what's going on here between Odo and Mora, right? Odo wants to like, you know, argue and say that they're nothing alike. But I mean, like even, even though he chose like work that is completely different, it's not completely different. <laughs> he does a lot of the same mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, so when you talk about like the science stuff and all that, it feels to me like I mean, science is just the costume that this story is wearing. This feels to me, honestly, like a bit of a TOS episode or, well, a TNG episode. Yeah, okay, yeah. this takes place in space, but we're not really doing a space show this week. We're doing an examination of uh, of relationships thing this week. I, I agree with you, and I, I and I love the idea that they do go deeply into this, uh, you know, parent and child relationship. Yeah. Clearly, that's what they were trying to explore here. Yeah. The problem is we've had thirty some up some odd episodes before this where Odo is sort of lamenting the fact that yeah, I, I was this thing that was found. I don't really know who I am. And and you're given the impression for those 30-some-odd episodes that there's this gross power imbalance between, you, you know, who he was and, and what he what he was sort of molded into, literally and figuratively, yeah. um, by, by the scientist who really has no right necessarily to, to be that... Um, that influential over Odo. Forgive me, dude. I'm not hearing anything there that says that it's not just a bad, you know, parent-child relationship. Look, I knew somebody, and I use that term past tense, because she was harangued by one of her parents into killing herself. Mm. I mean, mm-hmm. so I'm not hearing... I mean, yes, it's a horrible power imbalance. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it can be It can be sick and twisted, and that doesn't mean that it's not about, you know, uh, parents and children. Uh, forgive me, by the way, that was never established in a court of law or anything. It's just mm-hmm. everybody who yeah. knows, I'm sorry, knew uh, my friend was like, yeah, you know why that happened, which yeah, yeah, that's a whole other thing for a whole other thing. And you don't even have to be that extreme. I mean, look, all the way through this, Mora, I actually have a list here of slights that Mora delivers on Odo. Uh, still haven't quite gotten the ears right, have you? Uh, tell me about this police thing you've gotten yourself involved in. I love that. Actually, that was a fantastic line. Uh, constantly interrupting uh, Odo's origin story, of course. Um, the whole thing about his eyes, right? Uh, saying, yeah, the scene yeah. isn't quite right. Uh, it's an expression of affection that you find difficult to accept, he says. And then finally, there's the haranguing about being the only one that Odo can actually trust. Um, so when I say that this is about, you know, children and parents, uh, he's a bad dad. He, you know, Odo was absolutely right to get away from him. And I think Odo should get away from him. 
But when he's telling, you know, Odo that he, Dr. Mora, is the only one that Odo can trust, that the others will fear him and hate him and banish him to an asteroid or put him in a zoo. Um, terrible. Yeah. Here is also what I was wondering, though. Is he doing that because he cares about Odo or because he cares about his work? It's wrong either way. It doesn't really matter. It was just something I found myself wondering. Yeah, I, well, I think it's the knee-jerk reaction that that speaks to both of those. I don't think they're mutually exclusive, you know? Again, he 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 has carved out this role for himself where he is the maybe overprotective parent, but he's also the scientist who has a project, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I think all of those things hold true and they're all kind of terrible, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're all uh, a, a gross exaggeration of, uh, of, of his relationship with Odo and, and a disregard for where his limits should be. It is odd that they brought the obelisk back to Deep Space Nine. Maybe they thought that Otto was a drip off the old block. Well, visiting hours are almost over for Odo's not dad and Odo. The alternate. Who's the alternate, by the way, John? Who's the alternate? Who, who is the alternate? Now I'm asking you. <laughs> is he that? Is that gigantic puddle of clay? By the way, we were talking the last segment. I thought about this yeah. and I forgot about it. You said you would be Gregory Peck. Yeah. I think if he wants to stay true to what he is, uh, Odo, the, uh, the 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 puddle of goo, could make himself look like the lead singer of the Puddle of Mud. Oh, see, wouldn't that be good? And then when people say, "Who are you supposed to be?" He'll be like, oh, "I'm the lead singer of Puddle of Mud." See, it's funny because I was a puddle of goo. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sorry, by the way, for not saying the name of the lead singer of Puddle of Mud, but I think nobody me, knows. You know, nobody. Like most of the country, no idea. Nobody what his knows. Name is. Yeah, I hope he's not listening. If he is listening, he should write to us and say, yeah. "Dude, my name is Earl." I'll be like, "Really?" Like the TV show, <laughs> <clears throat> and it'll continue. So the alternate, you, you, you've got, uh, you have Odo and the Odo Monster. So the the alternate version of Odo, but then but then you have the the uh, uh, the sort of funhouse mirror version of uh, Odo and Odo's dad, or uh, a dad father figure here. Not exactly the father, but the father figure as they try to figure out well uh, uh, how much are we alike, and how much are we different, and how little of each other we would like to see going forward. That's also interesting because um, he could actually be the alternate, couldn't he? Like he's the alternate instead of being a father, he is what Odo ended up with. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a good so, point. All right. Yeah. So there's there's the title, yeah. uh, the alternate, which we did decide by the way is not the alternate, which I think is a horrible 24th century dance. Because I can't think of why else it would be called that. So uh, with that part out of the way, it's time to talk about the messages, morals, and meanings, and whether we feel like the episode holds up today. And as we are wont to do, we start with that question. John, does this episode hold up as far as you're concerned? Yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned before, uh, just kind of in passing before we got to the stage of the show, that, that there are many highlights. And, you know, the, the character work really between René Aubergenois and James Sloyan is just terrific. I thought the first couple of times I watched this, I, I thought that uh, James Sloyan was getting a little lost here, just in the overall episode. It's not as dramatic as The Defector, where everything is just played very much to the, the, the height of the scene, the height of the drama. Uh, but he hits all the right notes here. And man, Rene playing the, the desperation, the confusion, there's just so much going on. So as far as performances go, uh, they both make this a really strong episode. Um, and, and there's something interesting here about, uh, I, I think about families and the way that DS9 so far is treating this as a contrast to what we saw before in TOS and in Next Gen, I feel like in those shows, they always treated families as something that needed to be dealt with in order to move on with the story. Mm. You have Kirk and David Marcus. You have Riker and his dad. You have Worf and Alexander. And it's like, okay, let, let's just do this one little moment, solve this thing, and then get it out of the way. We literally kill David. 
you know? We meet Riker's dad once. And then Alexander, you forget that he's on board and he's off with the Rojinkos and then suddenly he's back again. Um, I wonder if the Rojinkos drink Rectogeno. So it seems like DS9 is taking a different approach by showing family as part of the story. You, you've got Rom and Nog, you've got Ben and Jake, and here you've got Mora and Odo. Now, I know that Mora and Odo, this won't be an ongoing storyline. We'll just see him one more time. But it's not a thing that just had to be dealt with and kind of swept under the carpet. It's a thing now that actually informs the character and gives us a bit more depth about the character. Uh, so this is all really interesting to see play out. Um, I also think the episode is just strong in, uh, in a story sense of building tension and keeping you guessing. You know, we, we all think like, oh, okay, of course, they brought the silicate back. The silicate grew and went crazy, and it's a monster, and it's killing people. Uh, we're trying to kill people. Uh, but to to tie this into something with Odo and give you a little uh, a little of that reveal late in the episode, I thought that was all very effective. Uh, so they did a nice job just from a storytelling point of view there. So, yeah, it's uh, I, I think it holds up very nicely. How about you, sir? Um, I'm going to say it holds up, but I have reservations. And what's interesting is some of the things you like about it are what give me the reservations. Mm. I was annoyed by the misdirect. Oh, really? Yeah. It, it, it actually made me a little nuts. Mm. Um, there's another Star Trek series, John, that we'll get to in several years. Oh, well, wait. Yeah. <laughs> it does this as well. <laughs> and it annoys me when the writers do it on that show, too. Um, uh, the Pillar in this episode and wasn't that over mm. there, you know, and the fact they even mm. brought it in the first place, uh, the noise and the, uh, Cardassian version of the Jeffrey's tube, uh, yeah. neither of those things go anywhere. They're just there to misdirect, but they don't even really get good explanations of why they're there. Like there's no reason they should have taken that pillar. There's no reason they should have taken that pillar. It's just there yeah. for, so that then yeah. when it moves and when weird stuff's happening, we're going to be like, oh, oh, so the pillar is, oh, no, it turns out the pillar is nothing. Hey, what's that scary noise that nobody can hear but O'Brien? Oh, you know what? It doesn't matter because all we were really trying to do was trick you. And we did that. Yeah. And, you know, we're happy with that. Um, all that said, James Sloyan is great. I mean, he is a good actor. And as Hands you said, yeah. you said he hits the notes. I mean, he, there's just something about him. There's a, there's a, and what's weird is, I think, and I know we talked about this probably the first time that we saw him in TNG. I just remember him from the Madeline Khan sitcom that I think no. lasted for like a yeah. season, maybe half a season. I don't even yeah. know. It was not a long lived series. I know that. And yet that's what I think of him as, which, I mean, while she was a comedic genius, it was still just a sitcom, right? And, mm -hmm. and so I think of him like with sort of like goofy looks and, you know, being annoyed with his sitcom wife. And then you get things like the defector or when he played, you know, the older Alexander or in this episode. I mean, he's 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 a good actor. I'd like to I'd like to see more stuff that he's in. Who knows? Maybe I'll even try. Um, <laughs> so, you know, that's great. And and the other thing that's really fantastic about this episode is it seems to deliver messages which I sort of like it, John, when Star Trek does that. I know a lot of people don't. Really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I do. Mm -hmm. um, so if you don't mind, I'm going to go straight into the messages part. Are yeah, you cool do with it. that? Yeah, okay. Go right ahead. Uh, the ones that I picked up, uh, other people can't define you, or you shouldn't let other people define you anyway. Because, um, you know, Odo's dad, quote-unquote, always had this idea that Odo would come back. Never really thought that Odo would be able to do it on his own, Right. And, mm -hmm. and Odo breaks free of all of that. At the same time, uh, Odo doesn't completely break free of it because he never really leaves that area. And he does, even though, as you point out, he could look like, he could look like, uh, uh, oh, Gregory Peck. He could sure. look like the lead singer of Puddle of Mud. He could look like Gene Simmons, either the one who played um, the Admiral on Star Trek yeah. or the one who plays bass for Kiss. Yeah, there's four people right there. Uh, yeah. Four different people he could yeah. be. He could just spend all of his time as a rat. You know, I mean, any number of things he could do. Um, so he kind of lets other people define him, but he also does break away in the important parts, I think. Um, you can't live your kids' lives for them, or you can't live someone else's life for them. And uh, finding anybody who says, I'm the only one you can trust, just, just, just kick them to the curb. 
They, yeah. they are not anyone to be trusted, I don't think. Anybody who says, I'm the only one you can trust, is not working in your best interest. They may even think they're working in your best interest, but if they're trying to isolate you from anything else but them, um, it's kind of hard to see how that can be mm-hmm. in your best interest. Now, all that said, too, I wish that Odo hadn't agreed to stay in touch with Mora. Not because I don't want them to. I just wish he hadn't agreed to it. Because, I don't know, I, w- I wish Odo had said I have to think about it a bit. Because this really does tie up in the 48 minutes, right? I mean, you're talking about how cruel it feels to you uh, Mora has been. I've certainly talked about if he is a father figure, he's not a good father figure. But this yeah. ends in a very television way of them saying, I'm sorry, and now it's all all right. We talked before about um, the end of uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, when Cameron's like, no, my dad's going to have to deal with me. Yeah. Well, he's going to deal with him by sending him to military school, right? Yeah. Because, I mean, yeah. it's not going to be that, you know, sort of happy ending thing that that aha moment tends to uh, lead us to believe that we're going to have. I wish Odo had said, I'm going to have to think about whether or not I can let you be back in my life. And then if Mora had actually, you know, accepted that and been okay with it, that would have been growth to me. For 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 Odo to say at the end of this, yes, I would like that, is for Odo to keep looking like Dr. Mora. Mm. It's 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 pleasing this person who has been his quote father end quote for no better reason than because his quote father end quote has said I would like that. I I mean, but I mean there's so much other exploration in here, there's so much other good stuff. I don't think that ruins it. It's what I wish had happened. But, you know, I feel like um Yes, I feel like overall the episode held up, and I think a lot of the messages are sound. What about you, sir? Did you find messages that you would like to bring to the table? Uh, first of all, I just had a great, terrible idea, uh, <laughs> which would be that uh, if you explore the, the the crumbling of their relationship and the, sort of the freedom at the end of this, if they both went their separate ways, and mm-hmm. uh, and Odo could be like, yeah, I, I'm not going to feel compelled to look like this quasi father figure that I have. Now I'm just going to look like Rene Aubergenois. And then Interesting. Michael Westmore could have saved himself a lot of work from that point forward on DS9. <laughs> That's a fa- Wow. Mm. That would be mind blowing. Although then people watching would be like, hey, where'd Odo go? Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. yeah. If, you, if you dip in and dip out of the series the way some people right. might have. Yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah, as far as messages, you know, I'll uh, I'll sort of take a riff on on what you were talking about about uh, uh, others can't define you and, you and and you can't live your kids' lives for them. Um, there's we've talked about this before on Star Trek, where uh, uh, friends are the family you choose. You know, uh, Odo has this difficult relationship with Mora for a number of reasons, but Odo has found a family in the people on DS9, and 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 sadly, he does sort of need to find a better way to cut those ties and cut loose from Mora so he can be the person he's going to be with these people who actually do have his best interest in mind, the people that he can trust. So um, nice to see that played out in a very personal way here. You know, this story is as much about Mora as it is about Odo. And Mora uh, should, would need to learn to let go or, or at least, you know, accept this redefinition of his relationship with Odo. The, the acceptance, the redefinition at the end of this is, is okay. We, we've come to some peace we will see each other from time to time. But I think what you're saying is very legitimate here that, that Odo given the opportunity probably should have made an even stronger uh, division with, uh, with, with Mora given the, the sort of abuses that, uh, that Mora and disrespect that Mora has visited upon Odo. Um, there's some interesting stuff that Mora says. I, I, I like his description of, uh, uh, the police work, as he calls it, and science follow the evidence no matter where it leads. Science is like police work indeed. And uh, uh, Dr. Mora's quick science lessons uh, worth repeating here. Something looks too good to be true probably isn't true. And if there appears to be more to something than meets the eye, there usually is more. You track in a straight line. All very helpful, all very good lessons from Dr. Mora. Uh, too bad he's a terrible father. <laughs> Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry.
hey, you know what you should do? You should check out some other podcasts that are on the Roddenberry Podcast Network because, oh yeah, it's a network full of Mission Log, Mission Log Live, Women at War, Priority One, and The Trek Files. The place to find that, podcast.roddenberry.com. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, that would be neat. You could do so at patreon.com slash missionlog. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM. That is trek.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. Next week, Armageddon Game. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. The lead singer of Puddle of Mud is named Wes Scantlin. I had to look it up. It was driving me crazy. And transmission. podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. It's Stangy Law Firm. We represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit familylawrepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's familylawrepresentation.com Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita, Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri.